0: Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is going to offer us a significant insight into God's design for reaching the lost. No matter the confusion or criticism or accusations that can be made towards God's people, it's their actions of goodwill and service and love that will speak of the undeniable transforming work found in the gospel. Thanks for listening today as we learn how God has designed the church to excel in good works. Your works speak louder than your words. Your works, what you do, what the way that you carry yourself, how you relate to your neighbors and your family and your co-workers, they speak louder than any words that you will say. God has a design for his people. Uh, We are in a series uh, called Do Good, and as I mentioned earlier in our service today, the focus of which being an equipping that we would see from God's word repeatedly, week after week, as a kind of spiritual exercise that the calling to the Christ follower is to be the embodiment of Jesus and his love in our world. Uh, There's a... Uh, Pastor Tim Keller uh, has a quote. He he asked his church, uh, if you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, would anyone in the community around you even notice that you were gone? And if the community did notice, would they say, we're really glad they're gone or we're really going to miss them? Th- there is a task for us as Aliens on earth as sojourners passing through that God has positioned you specifically to be a blessing to the community that's around you. To be so engrafted into the the good that is happening in the community that if God were to take the church tomorrow, everyone around would say, oh, we miss them so much. We miss them. But I wonder if they even know. I wonder if the folks even know that the people here love God so much that they're willing to give and to serve and to be invested in the work and the lives of those yet to come to faith. It's an important question. Last week, we, we addressed embodiment as a theme. Uh, that much like you heard Phil's message and the reminder to the children this morning, you and I are called to embody the love of Of Jesus, and for that to be displayed to all those who cross our path. If you can recall to last week, uh, just as a little reminder for you, uh, this needs to begin where first? Do you remember? Where, Where does that need to start? Showing love begins in the church. God has designed it such that they will know that you are disciples of Jesus by your. This is a freebie. Help me out here. They will know we are Christians by our... Yeah, you're all listening this morning. Yeah, uh, God knows uh, that his, his strategy to speak to the world is through the works and deeds of those who embody Jesus. And it starts right here. Okay? That was... Call that phase one. Hopefully we're all on board with that. Because phase two is now when we shift our attention to take the love that we we have worked so hard to refine within the body. We're quick to forgive. We're slow to speak. We're quick to listen. We hold one another accountable in love. We embody the picture of a family to call one another's brothers and sisters, to be willing, in fact, to do just like John says in 1 John, to lay down our lives for one another. When we get that right here, We will be able to display it out there. That's phase two. That's today's message. Today's message is not phase one. That was last week. Say amen if you're good on that. All right. We're good on that for, for last week. Phase two is now what is required of us so that we can properly display the love of God to those watching in the world. Uh, As we work through our passage this morning, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me there to 1 Peter. Uh, We're going to look at two verses, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. That's page 1729 in the Pew Bibles, Um, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. As we read through it, there's just two things I would like you to focus on. Peter is going to give a command to the church that is asymmetrical. So uh, he's going to tell the church uh, a negative command, meaning don't do something. And then he's going to tell the church a positive command. Do do something. All right, so I want you to watch for that. That's going to be a theme as we uh, see this. Uh, this similar calling amplified through the New Testament, that there is this dual aspect, this um, asymmetry that's given to the Christ follower of something you need to stop doing, and then something you should start doing. Everybody with me on that? Okay, First Peter, chapter two, 11 and 12. Peter writes, "Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires. Which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. All right, there's a lot packed into these two verses. That I want to try to unpack for us. So I, I have a couple of observations and conclusions for us to, to focus on this morning. The first is this. Good deeds must be the product of good lives. Good deeds must be the product of good lives. Now, I, I'm using the word good here in response to your life because that's the word Peter uses. So look with me again back in the text in verse 12. He says, live such good what? live good lives. I, however, the, the pastor in me needs to give some interpretation to this. Um, you might remember from last week, we looked at, I think it was Mark 10 and the, the, the story of the rich young ruler. Remember that guy? Comes up to Jesus, says, hey, good teacher, tell me what I got to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There are none who are good except God alone. And so the, the pastor in me wants to be careful with this because what I don't want you to think is that the message of the gospel is, hey, you need to shape up. Shame on you. I know what you did. God knows he's like Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad, so you better... You get the point, right? That's not it at all. That's not it at all. And so I have to change this word. If you're taking notes, I would invite you to change that word from good to transform. Because what transformed means is that the old me that used to be resident in the will of my life is dead. In fact, has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. My will no longer lives. Now Christ lives in me and I've been transformed. And when you do that, your life can now be characterized as good. So P- Peter's right. I, I don't want to correct Peter here. You do need to live a good life, but that good life is only possible when it is Christ living through you and not you continuing to vouch and decide and and enforce your will as opposed to God's will. So this is, by the way, th- this is really at the very center of the gospel. I- I'm going to take another minute on this simply because... Um, This wraps up everything. Uh, we, We have this passage in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are all out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral person, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of, God and of, Christ, uh, kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Do you still have your Bibles open to 1 Peter? You, you still with me there? Just glance up a couple of verses. I want you to look back to verse 9. Look, look at what Peter says. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you see the same thing here? It's the same message. Oh, it's the same message. The Christian life is simply this. It is the removal of a dead Heart that does not respond to God. And it is the transplantation of Christ's heart that now makes you and I alive. You know, good works cannot come from bad lives. They can't. The the only thing that comes from a a, a bad life, a, a dead life, even if it's a good action... Even if it's a nice thing that you did, it will only and always just bring glory to yourself. And in fact, the, the prophet says these words, that all of your acts of righteousness, your work, your good works, are when, when they're presented before God, they're filthy rags because they are sourced from, a, from a, a septic pool. It'd be like you and I trying to purify water that comes out of the septic tank. Eey. Good luck with that. That, 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 You you know know what's needed to be done? You need to to dig up the entire property and put in a cistern is what you need to do. You need to remove everything that was bad and replace it with what is good. Um, C.S. Lewis writes this in um, his preeminent work, Uh, Mere Christianity. I have it here on the screen, too. Uh, Listen to the illustration that he gives. He says the Christian way is different. It's harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and cut off a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Hand over, or I'm missing the one for Paul. Where's Paul? Sorry, I didn't mean to skip this one for you. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. What do you do with the bad tooth? You, I want the whole thing out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self. Instead, in fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Isn't that beautiful? Good works must be the product of a transformed life. And make sure again, just as a as a point of my pastoral care for you, that what you're not hearing is: you need to do better. You need to work harder. Remember. That, that's like giving, that's just a trimming of the tree that's dying. That's a, that's a polishing of the tooth that's rotten. God wants the whole thing. He wants all of you. He wants all your bad and all what you think is good. Because even the good that you have naturally within you is not good before God. It's filth. It's just filth. Because it only gives point and glory back to this sinner. And God's designed us to function in a way to bring him glory, not ourselves glory. Are you with me on the? Give me an amen if you're with me on this amen. one. All right, we're good. Let's move on. Number two, good deeds must be visible. Good deeds must be visible. Look again with me in verse 12. Live such good lives. Where? It doesn't say in the church. Take note of this. The Bible does not say live a good life when you're with everybody on Sunday morning. No, you and I are to have good works that are visible to the world. They must be visible before the world. Now, I want to I give you a little bit of history here in, in two minutes. Peter is writing this to Christians who are in opposition with the values of their world. These very first century. Can you imagine? Imagine you lived back then. Imagine you lived the time of Peter, and you're trying to meet together and pray and develop and follow Jesus in a culture that is so idolatrous. The, The Christians, as they would identify with one another, they would begin to characterize their community Right, because we—it's a community, it's a family. They would begin to characterize their community with a few certain phrases and practices that were unique to the church. Here's what I mean: there were certain things that the church did that nobody else did. You—you you couldn't go to uh, the the Lions Club and see the same thing that the church did. You couldn't go to the bowling alley and see the same thing the church did. You couldn't go to the to the uh, whatever uh, theater or whatever other societal. Um, uh, experience that could be had and see what the church did. Because the church did things only in the church because they carried values. Here, here's a couple of them. W- one of the things that the Christians would do if they were sharing the message of good news with their neighbor, is they would say, we're having a love feast. We're having a love feast. They, they use the word agape. It was an agape feast. That's what the earliest Christians called church. How great is that? How many people wish we did that more often? Like, let, let's get the love feast back. back. I, right, McDonald's? I know I'm hearing an amen back there, right? Let's get, let's get that back again. Now, they called it a love feast. But when the world heard that term, do you know what they thought? They thought they were having orgies. They thought they were orgastic in church. And so they were like, uh, I don't know about that. And then it gets worse. <laughs> you, you're all awake now in church this morning, aren't you? Because uh, it's going to get worse. Because as the Christians would meet with one another, uh, they would introduce their spouse as, oh, this is Sister Emily. Uh, the world would say, excuse me, you married your sister and you're going to a love feast. Yeah, so, so the other uh, condemnation that they would bring before Christians was that they were incestuous Because we call one another brother and sister. Even spouses have a redefinition within the relationship. Because the the marriage dynamic is one where two become one. But the Christian dynamic is one that affords us the same heavenly father. And so it's true. If you're sitting next to your spouse this morning, you're sitting next to your sibling. Which don't let that freak you out. That is fine. Uh, The next thing that they would do is when they would refer to uh, their fellowship meal... They would break bread, and when they would break bread, they would describe it as eating the body and drinking the blood. Now, the world would hear this, and they weren't grossed out already by what they were hearing. They were like, you're cannibals? You And they not only thought that they, they ate their Lord, but they thought—I'm I'm telling you the truth. I'm not making this up. All of this is documented uh, as a response by early Christian apologists, particularly Justin Martyr— um, they would say uh, that the Lord was seen in the loaf and the world was confused by that thinking that what Christians did, they thought earliest Christians would have newborn babies and then would bake their babies into a loaf of bread and that the initiation rite of new believers would be having to cut the bread and eat the flesh. Because that was the language the Christians used, that we, we are eating the body and the blood of our Lord. This was very confusing Very confusing to the world. Last one I'll give you is that Christians would say, Jesus is Lord. And the world said, "Uh, Caesar is Lord. What do you mean, Jesus is Lord? You're you're following a different master? And so what they accused Christians of was being subversive to the government. Do, do Do you hear the list? Of accusations that's leveled: you're incestuous, you're orgastic, you're cannibalistic, you're uh, um, subversive and you're antisocial. These are all the accusations that are given to Christians. Do you know that the same thing happens today? Can I say that again? The same thing happens today. That as Christians embody the values that you only find within the church, the world looks at you and I and says, mm-mm, mm-mm. for example, if you were to hold uh, to the title um, evangelical, you've heard that term, right? Do you know what the world hears when they hear evangelical? They hear racist. That's what you are. You're an ev- oh, evangelical racist, white supremacist. That's what the world hears when you use the term evangelical. Or or maybe you're somebody who defines marriage as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. The world hears that and they say, you're a homophobe. That's what you are. You're you're a homophobe. Or if you're somebody who holds to Paul's teachings that the husband is the head of the wife, that the the husband is thereby the head of the home, the world hears that and says, you're patriarchal. You're part of the patriarchy is what you are. Or if a Christian would repeat the words of Jesus that says he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father. But through him, the world hears that and they say you're exclusivistic. You're you're haters is what you are. That is hate speech. The same thing happens. Are we on the same page here for, for, for the accusations that are coming from the world because they don't understand? It's a gross misrepresentation of the intentions of a Christ follower and the word of God to be distorted, to make it mean something it never means on every one of these levels. Now, do you know what the solution was for the very first Christians? Because what I'm going to share with you this morning is their solution is, guess what? Whose solution? That's ours. Well, how did they handle those accusations? How did they respond when, when the world said, hey, this is what I'm hearing from you, and it doesn't sound good because that's what the world does to us today? Um, I actually had to hunt for this a little bit. I had to get some of the big books off my shelf. Um, this, this comes from the earliest writings of the Christians in response to these false accusations. It is, uh, it's a letter written by um, a disciple called Methetes, Uh, to somebody named Dionysus, Methetes is going to write a response to these false accusations. And this is, by the way, this is one of the very earliest documents that we have after the writing of the New Testament. Um, Historians mark probably the first to be first Clement is coming right on the heels at the very end of the first century, right at the very beginning of the second century. And then this letter from Methetes comes next. I mean, look, it's at the very beginning of my book here. Let me read to you what Metheite says the Christian's response is. Speaking of Christians, he says, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, yet endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land is to them their native country, And every land of their birth is a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth. But they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all men. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all things. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and yet bless. They are insulted, and they repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet they are punished as evildoers here's my point to you when Peter writes that you are to abstain from the values of the world because they will war against your soul you need to live like an alien here he immediately after that gives the positive command live such good lives among the pagans look with me back in the text one last time because look what he says though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds Here's what I want to leave you with. Good deeds must be visible. That was the answer for the accusation of the world in the early church. Are you guys with me on this? do Do you get, are Christians get accused of things today? Are Christians labeled things today that just aren't at all true? Absolutely. What is the answer to it? It's let their mouths be silenced because you have done good. Because they have nothing bad that they can say about you. There's, ha, I'd, I'd love to be able to tear them down, but there's nothing I can say because look at their lives. Man, they don't live like the people who are here. Um, I, I, I'm so very thankful for, for the writing. I hope that that's an encouragement to you today because the response of the very first Christians is the same response that we must have today. And I've had it uh, just crystallized here is that your goodies must be visible. The second one comes um, very closely on the heels of our second observation, thirdly, good deeds must be consistent. Um, I'm I'm pressing a Greek word here in the text um, that I think needs to be emphasized. So look with me once more at verse 12. He says, "Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds." So this word "see" is not the typical Greek word for "see." Um, we, we have uh, two very, very common words uh, for see in the New Testament. Um, horao, which means to look, and blepo, which means to see. The, the, if, if Peter meant just do it to be seen, he would use those words, but he doesn't use that word. This word in your Bible, see, that they may see, is the, is the word that actually means to perceive over time. It means to perceive over over time or to continuously observe to continuously observe uh, in English and this is how I think it should have been translated we, the closest we have for that is the word watch I think that's a, that's a better accurate interpretation of, of the word that Peter is using he doesn't mean just see like I, oh I saw he means they're watching do you know that do you know what the world is watching Best illustration I have for this that I think we can relate to. Um, have you ever have you ever seen downtown or, or, or somewhere where you lived where they bring in the wrecking ball and they knock down the old building and then they, they, they put up the, the green fence and they, they bring in the trailer with the construction crew and a big sign that says, under construction. Have you ever seen anything like that happen? Now, if, if you ever drive by there, if you're anything like me, you're kind of like, see, hey, what are they doing? Hmm, what are they wonder what they're putting in. wonder what they're building. Anybody else like that? A- anybody else kind of curious to be like, is this going to be something I can shop at? Is this going to be a place where I can get a cheeseburger? Is this going to be, what? what is this place that they're going to build? And every day I drive by, I'm going to watch the progress. Ah, look at that. They're putting in the foundation. Ah, look at that. They're putting in, they're paving the parking lot. Oh, look at these walls. Boy, this is going to be a nice place. You, you guys know the place over on um, uh, Stevenson with the big boot over by... Um, Taco Bell. What's that place called now? Step step Ahead. Remember that when that was being built? My kids thought it was going to be a Cracker Barrel. That's how excited they were. This is going to be a Cracker Barrel! Uh, Turns out it is not a Cracker Barrel. This is what the world is doing with your life. This is what they're doing right now with your life. They are watching to see what's being built. Hmm. Hmm, Look at that. I wonder what that's going to become. This is why good deeds in your life, they must not simply just be visible. They must also be consistent. The calling to the Christ follower, and if you're tracking with this, these all build one upon the other. If good deeds come from transformed lives, guess what they'll also be? They'll be consistent Because they're not coming from a a septic pool. They're actually coming from pure spring of water that will continue to overflow and bring good works. But this is the calling to the church. We need to know that's exactly what Peter intends the church to understand. As you perform good deeds, as you live good lives, the pagans are watching. Those on the outside are watching. They want to accuse you. And you are to refute Those accusations by the consistent, regular, often display of selfless love in the life of a Christ father. Number four is this. Good deeds must glorify God. This is another one that I could spend a lot of time on, but I think you're going to get it pretty quick. So I'm I'm, going to move quickly. This observation is the primary characteristic of what determines if a deed is good or not. Can I say that again? Number four. Is the primary characteristic that determines if a deed is good or not. You have to ask the question does this glorify God or does this glorify me? When I was, I think, around 12 or 13 years old, um, I was traveling with my mom and she was going to handbell uh, choir practice at the church over off Kimberly Avenue. And she dropped me off at Big Boy. Do you guys remember when Big Boy used to be here? Man, who's getting hungry listening to this sermon right now? Uh, cracker Barrel, Big Boy. She dropped me off at Big Boy. I'm not sure how that happened when I was so young, but that's, that's what I remember. And I remember um, I had a, a couple bucks in my pocket. And uh, this, the server who came noticed that I was by myself. And so he, he was very kind. He, he was very helpful. Oh, anybody with you? No, I'm just here waiting for my mom. She's going to pick me up. And, well, what can I get you tonight? I said, I would like a cheeseburger and fries, because I still love cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, there came the plate with burger and fries, and like a growing preteen, I devoured that thing. And then when the bill came, there was no bill. Instead, there was just a napkin. And on the napkin, it said, Ryan. <clears throat> I must get a little emotional with this. <laughs> it said, Ryan. <clears throat> God has given me so much more than I deserve. So in Jesus name, this is for you. Signed Gary M Greenwood. Who remembers a note you got when you were 12? Anybody? I do. I do. Because the action of this one, he might have been in college, he might, you know, he, he wasn't that much older. You know, working his way through, but he saw an opportunity to bless somebody. He saw an opportunity to just show the love of God. He didn't know He didn't know me from anybody. And that one little action that he did to glorify God stuck with me and still influences my life today. Because there's nothing in your life that will last unless it is done for the glory of God. Are you guys with me on this one? I I knew this would be an easy one for you to catch. Uh, Jesus gives an example of this in Matthew 6. He says to the the, uh, followers, he says, Be careful not to do your righteous deeds in front of others. To be seen by men. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So if we're all on the same page with this, um, I would like to just draw your attention once more back to the text. And I want to show you how Peter describes this. He says in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify who glorify God. All of the works that you and I are going to do, the whole challenge for you in 2021 to find a neighbor, find somebody to bless, make sure that everything you do is done for the glory of God and it will work and it will last. Lastly, number five is this. Good deeds must be the preamble to Christ's return. Good deeds are the preamble, meaning this is what is spoken ahead of time before Jesus returns. And again, and finally, I'd like to take you once more to chapter 2, verse 12. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when? <clears throat> On the day he visits, this, visits us. Some commentators think that that's the day that salvation comes to them, um, but uh, the majority uh, uh, believe and the most natural reading of this is in fact By the way, also in correspondence to Peter's larger theme, we're not talking about just a moment of salvation in their life. We're talking about Jesus' return. We're talking about Jesus' return. Because the thing that brings God more glory is having more servants in the kingdom. That's what brings God the most glory. And so before he returns, the gospel to to be shared through our actions is the preamble. Before Jesus returns. I I want to share you. uh, Just show you. I could could pick a dozen passages for this. Just one here. In Titus chapter 2. Paul writes to Titus. For the grace of God. Has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. To ungodliness. And worldly passions. And to live self-controlled. Upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing. Of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Do you see what's right at the middle here? Your, your, your transformative calling to do good finds right in the very middle of it, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for my king to return. I'm waiting for him return. And do you know where I'm not waiting? I'm not waiting, holed up in my prayer closet, towering for fear. That's not where I'm waiting. I'm waiting by displaying his kingdom everywhere I go. That's how I wait for him. The idea is this. Yes or no? The king is coming. Yes, the king is coming. What happens? Just think royalty. Let's say we had a, uh, you were in England and the king was going to come. What would the people do for the arrival of the king? They would roll out the they'd roll out the red carpet, right? And they would polish everything and they make ready. He's coming soon. We're ready. Boy, we polished this place up, not in order to earn his love, but because he loves us. We are going to recreate everything in our vicinity to reflect what he would want to find. That's how we live. While we wait for the blessed hope, which is the appearing. Um, one other thing I want to show you in this text, as we saw even from Peter, that there is a there, there, there's an inverse command. Did you notice it? So there there are certain things that we say no to. Don't do these things, right? Uh, don't engage in ungodliness and worldly passions. Same thing Peter said. Do you remember verse eleven? Uh, abstain from sinful desires, right? But then we have the positive command right here at the end, right? People who are eager to do what? Oh, say it aloud. People are eager to to good. do good. To do good, that's the whole theme that we're in. So here, that, that wraps that up. Good deeds, that must be the preamble to Christ's return. Let me leave you with just, just four quick thoughts. First of all, you need to make God personally present in your life. If we are to obey this passage, what Peter is pressing to the church, you need to make God personally present in your life. Now, This, this, is, a, this is a command to the church. This is a command to you as a Christian, I am intentionally choosing these words. It doesn't mean make God present in your life. It's make God personally present in your life. Because God has called you not to a religion. I, I, it, I you know, I'll just remind you, going to church is worthless. If that's all it is for you. Going to church does nothing in the scheme of your relationship with God. Matthew 7 says there will be many on that day who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. The central aspect of being a Christ follower is to know him, to know Jesus and to know him as a person. Now. I'm certain you all have relationships with people. Um, we have some friends that we worked with years ago. And one of the things when I uh, get a chance to talk to them is like, why haven't you called more? We, I haven't talked to you in so long. What happens to a relationship if you, if you don't talk? What happens? Yeah, yeah, kind of erodes a little bit. Listen, step number one for you as a Christ follower is you need to make God personally present in your life. Not compartmentalized to Sunday. Not just a chunk of your life here he wants all of you all of you and let that be something that's defined for you and i personally i i want to i want to point back to uh for you verse nine in the passage because god has called you out of darkness he's called you now into light so live as a child of light it can't be compartmentalized you can't put the light only in this one spot and it doesn't shine over here Everywhere the light shines, it illuminates. And that's what your relationship with Jesus needs to look like in your life. So imagine if the king was coming. Imagine he was coming into your heart. Is the red carpet there? If, if, we have, if we have company coming over to our house, one of the things we do is take out the trash. The other day there were chicken scraps in there, and it was like something died in the trash can. Like we just have to get this trash outside, right? And that's when we live there. Now, what, imagine you had company coming over. Hmm? Some of you are thinking, I probably need to clean up living room already, right? <laughs> what about the trash in your heart? What, what, what about those places where sin, because it's going to war against your soul, sinful desires are going to plague you as long as you have breath. Jesus says, that's not who you are anymore. Don't live like that anymore. You don't have to go back to those things. Take the trash out, because your heart is my home. I dwell with you. God lives personally in your heart and in your life. So here it is. Starts here. Make God personally present in your life. Number two, look for avenues of compassion among the lost. This is why you are still on earth. You are not here to save your money and go on vacation. That's not what God has left you here for. If you're you're in retirement age, it's not to collect seashells. That's not what you're here for. God has you still on earth representing your Savior, Jesus Christ. And the only place where that's going to have some access, some grit, some application, is if you're doing it, looking for people to be light to. This is uh, what Jesus was accused of eating with sinners, right? So check this passage out, Mark 2. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors... And sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, man, look at these guys, teachers of the law, I'm wearing my tie today, Jesus. When they, uh, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Um, God is continuing his work through you. Uh, as Jesus prays in John chapter 17, knowing that he and the Father are one, he understands he's not of this world. He says, I am sending you, you, as the Father has sent me. Because you now are going to continue the work of Jesus by representing his love uh, to all those who need to hear the gospel. So look for avenues of compassion among the lost. If I look back in Peter's message today, it says live such good lives among the pagans. So you have to look for this. Number 3, be a consistent conduit of God's mercy. You see consistency repeated in here again, right? Cuz people are watching, "Ooh, let's see what's being built there." People are going to watch. So you need to be a consistent, but then the word that I'm inserting here is a conduit of God's mercy. Um Warren Wiersbe uh, says that one of the major problems with trying to be a servant in the church is that there are too many of us who think that God has called you to be a manufacturer of mercy rather than a distributor. I've got to let that sink in a minute, right? You are not a manufacturer of mercy. You're a distributor of it. Do you get the difference there? You, you, don't, you don't have to make it from scratch. You only give away what has been given to you. Look with me back in the text one more time. Uh, Look at verse 10 this time. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So, what should I do with this mercy, God? Give it away, share it, give it away. I, I think it's a little crippling sometimes in the mind of a Christ follower to think, Jesus, oh, I'm listening to the pastor now. I got to do something. What? Gee, what am I going to do? I uh, think, oh, I didn't raise my hand with a prayer partner. I'm, oh, I'm terrible Christian. I got to do something. Slow down. It's been done. It's been done for you. If you if you struggle. Uh, understanding mercy, go back to number one, just work on number one. Okay. The, The more that God is personally present in your life, the more you understand his mercy, the easier it is for you to just be a conduit of his mercy, consistently showing the love of God that's been given to you. Again, I'm not making this up. I'm reading directly what Peter has said. This, this is the challenge to you and I today. Lastly is this spread the glory of God. You need to spread the glory of God because God's glory is spread wherever his kingdom servants are. So we want to find more servants. The glory of God is seen wherever his children are. So we want to see new sons and daughters of God. How is that going to happen? Here's my challenge to you we must show the gospel in order to share the gospel. We must show the gospel. In order to share the gospel. We must show the gospel. In order to share the gospel. That is how you spread the glory of God. As I, as I wrap up this morning. I just want to ask you the question. If you were to grade yourself. If you look back at your sermon notes. And I, I got four things listed here. And, and we went to middle school. And the teacher said alright. Write, write down what grade you would give yourself. An A to an F. How are you doing on number one? How are you doing on number two? How are you doing on number three? How are you doing on number four? I want to challenge you to try to do that today. And just give a little self-evaluation to ask the question, where do I need work in my life? Is consistency the problem? And that I, I just really don't know mercy. I feel like I'm having to make it up as I go instead of just be a conduit of his love to flow. Or, or maybe it's you don't actually look anywhere. It's very easy for us to be like a Levite and a priest driving down the road. Just, oh, I gotta get to where I gotta go. I see the guy all on the side of the road. Uh, the other day, one of our members here was late to Bible study, or I think it was late to church because he said he saw somebody walking when it was like three degrees outside. And this person did not look like they should be walking. So he pulled over and asked her, do you, do you need help? Turns out there was, a, there was a situation at home that was not good. And uh, the individual in our church drove this person to the hospital and, and offered any care that they might need to take care of them. God, man, if I'm honest, do you know most of the time I'm coming to the church, I'm a little bit more like a priest and a Levite. I got to get there. I got to focus on what I got to do. And I'm I'm really maybe not looking. I'm not, I'm not seeing those opportunities that God would put before me. All right, you, you track with me on this. Grade yourself. I, I think for you and I to be obedient to God's word is to give a little self-evaluation. We need... We need God's help with that. So can we pray this morning ask God's help?